Hello and a warm welcome to your Bible teaching programme, Search for Truth, with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. I'm your host, John Martin. We have the first study in a new eight-part series this time. Its title asks, Does anyone know why we're here? This series is based on the Old Testament Bible book of Ecclesiastes, which traditionally is attributed to King Solomon and consists largely of reflections on the vanity of human life. At first appraisal, these reflections might present a depressing study, but Brian will look more deeply into the questions which this book raises, and the question for today is, can it be that everything is meaningless? Here's Brian. Thanks, John. Ravi Zacharias... A Christian apologist was once speaking to a large college crowd in the Philippines when he was suddenly interrupted. A student stood up and yelled, Everything is meaningless! Zacharias responded, You don't believe that? The student yelled back, Yes, I do. No, you don't. I most certainly do. Who are you to tell me that I don't? Then repeat your statement for me. Everything is meaningless! Ravi then said, Please remain standing. This will only take a moment. I assume that you assume that your statement is meaningful. If your statement is meaningful, then everything is not meaningless. On the other hand, if everything is meaningless, then what you have just said is meaningless also. So in effect, you've said nothing. You can sit down. That young student was a sceptic. And I understand that conversation that we've mentioned was continued in private and he became a Christian. The consideration of whether it could be true that everything is meaningless is not a consideration we would expect to find arising from within a biblical worldview. For in that biblical worldview, God is accepted as existing and giving meaning and purpose to human existence. But the curious thing, at least at first sight, is that one entire book in the Bible is devoted to exploring whether or not everything is meaningless. Why should this be the case? It's written by someone who doesn't fully identify himself, but rather enigmatically refers to himself by a term that translates as an academic or religious leader of assembly. Someone has perhaps not too inaccurately dubbed him as the professor. He does seem to have royal credentials, and many consider this to be King Solomon's way of self-referencing. That the writer was a wise man goes without saying, and his skill in learning is on display as he presents to us his thesis in the course of the 12 chapters that make up this potentially quite disconcerting book in the Bible. I say disconcerting because the stance he takes is a rather sceptical one, and not one you might expect in the Bible. Why is this? Even a skim read through the book will provide a big clue as to what's going on. Many people have noticed it, and you probably have yourself. It's simply the fact that we keep coming across the little phrase under heaven or under the sun. Let's get down to what our professor has to say and as we do so, try to pick out the phrases under the sun or under heaven. He says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes. 
but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place it rises there again. Blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, See this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Well, there we have it once more in that last verse we read, verse 14, the words, under the sun. What this is indicating to us is that the professor who is doing the research is limiting the scope of his study. He's exploring the significance of everything from the point of view of fallen humanity. Not that he's an atheist himself, of course, because he sometimes refers to God in a way that would preclude that from being the case. But for the purpose of this research, he's adopting more or less an atheistic perspective, one that doesn't try to take account of God or things higher than what the eye can see. He's doing this not to defend that viewpoint, but only to explore the best that worldview can offer as far as explaining the true meaning of life. And as we're going to find out, it can't offer us very much. For if atheism is true, then life is ultimately without purpose. We're jumping ahead of ourselves for a moment, but a modern professor, the Nobel Prize-winning scientist Steven Weinberg, is an outspoken atheist. He writes, The more the universe seems comprehensible, the more it also seems pointless. But if there is no solace in the fruits of our research, there is at least some consolation in the research itself. The effort to understand the universe is one of the very few things that lifts human life a little above the level of farce and gives it some of the grace of tragedy. Weinberg considers life as being ultimately without purpose, but he does talk about how a passion for actually doing science can lift life above the level of a farce, and he finds a crumb of comfort in that. That's a remarkably similar finding, as we'll see, to what the professor in the Bible book of Ecclesiastes discovers through his research. But the Bible's endorsed study cannot end on such a pessimistic note as Stephen Weinberg ended his. As the writer of the Bible book of Ecclesiastes digs away at the problem, uncovering various different strands of evidence, he digs down until in chapter 12 he hits bedrock. And that bedrock, as it were, is God himself. Along the way, as we'll see, there are glimpses of a higher, divine perspective.
one that is necessary in order to transcend meaninglessness. But we must be patient. The professor takes his time so that we get to feel the depressing weight of all research that doesn't have God as its starting assumption. And that's illustrated by the opinion of Steven Weinberg that we noted earlier. For he concludes that life under the sun is ultimately without purpose, and that's depressingly pessimistic. If we recall again verse 13, where the professor says, And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. From that, we see that the Bible professor never descends into atheism himself. He even considers his research as a God-given task. But he effectively experiments with what practical atheism has to offer as regards life's ultimate meaning and the making sense of life. His conclusion is that without God in the picture, there can be no ultimately satisfying or meaningful human existence. In later studies, we'll see how such thoughts as whether or not we believe in justice have a bearing on this. For the professor weighed up how in this life under the sun, gloriously good and blatantly bad people share the same fate of death. He considers that unsatisfactory. And so the choice is between saying, tough, it is what it is, or realising that there must be a day of reckoning beyond this short life. He points us very clearly in the direction of the second option, and the reminder that the very fact we humans search for meaning, while the animal creation doesn't, points to the imprint of God upon us, if we're willing to recognise it, that is. Time to
Thanks, Brian, for your thoughtful insight in today's introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's whetted our appetite for more to come, because next week we'll consider futility and hope. Remember that if you've any questions you'd like to ask Brian, then do write in, as usual, because all Brian's talks are available to download online or as a transcript book. That'll help you in further study. So here's how to get the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media, or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for, does anyone know why we're here? You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now you might be interested to know that if you go to the website I just mentioned, that's uh, churchesofgod.info forward slash media, you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off air by audio podcast MP3 versions. So why not have a go and see what you can find to enjoy? Now that's almost all we have for today, but it's been good to enjoy your companionship and share this time of study together. I look forward to your company again next time, but till then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, may God richly bless you. To everything.